We're going to be talking, we left off last week, Easter. We talked about the disciples, how they were, uh, after the resurrection on the first day of the week, how they had seen Jesus early that day. Um, but they locked themselves in this house. Could have been the upper room. We don't know exactly where. But they locked themselves in this room because they were terrified. They were afraid. They saw what had happened to Jesus, and I believe that they, most of them said, you know what, I think I'm going to pass on that. I don't think I want any of that. I saw how badly he was beaten by, you know, Pilate's soldiers that I just don't think I want. I, would, I don't want that. And so they locked themselves in the room. Later that night, Jesus appears to them, and he says, peace to them, be still. Thomas wasn't there. A week later, they're still locked in the same room. They're still terrified. They're still afraid. And we talked about things, different things that keep us locked in the room. And we talked about how as long as they were locked in the room, they were of no benefit to God. That, you know, God could not use them. They weren't witnessing. They weren't preaching. They weren't teaching. They weren't baptizing. They weren't doing miracles. They were just hidden away. And sometimes, you know, our lives get like that. We get to a place where we just want to lock ourselves in the room. But when the Holy Spirit fell, man, the room couldn't contain them. And all 120 of them got out on the street and started preaching Jesus. All of a sudden, they were changed people, and they weren't changed by time. They were changed by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, those that were hiding from the religious leaders and the Roman guards were out publicly preaching Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And then I've got a couple of questions that I want to ask you at the end. So I want to just use both Old Testament and New Testament to work my way into this. Listen to this. In the beginning... This is, I mean, we talk, start talking about the Holy Spirit, just boom, right out of the box. I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I want to tell you, that is a picture of every one of us in this room. The, the Bible says that at one time, you know, we were in, in outer darkness. I mean, we were in pitch black. We were enemies of God. We were separated from God and from the promises of God and from the Word of God. But I believe that like, just like creation, the Holy Spirit comes and just starts hovering over you and just starts speaking your name. And, and just calling you and wooing you. And then all of a sudden, you know, life starts changing. And, and the things that you did before, you're not doing anymore. The, this, this earth that was void and, and without form and, is, and in darkness, that's the way you are. To be without God is to be in darkness. And, and the Holy Spirit shows up and just starts bringing change into your life. And, and starts changing you and, and making something that's void and dark and ugly into something that's beautiful. You look out this morning. I mean, it was a beautiful morning. Clouds and, you know, the, every morning we see the sunrise or these incredible sunsets that we have here in New Mexico. And it's like God just signing off and saying, my children, I love you. Good night. Have a good, peaceful sleep. I mean, God's saying that every night. You ever look out the window and see it? I see it every night. From my back porch, it's like God saying, I love you, have a good night's rest, and I'll be with you in your sleep. I'll be with you. Our God never slumbers or sleeps. He that watches over Israel, the Bible says, never slumbers or sleeps, and he's right there beside you. Man, that's, that's great stuff, isn't it? And so, let me just move on. 
It says, and then, you know, because all of the stories that we read in the Bible, all of the stories, they're incredibly great stories, Old Testament, New Testament, but they have something there that I want to point out that you need to see because they're great because of one thing, and that is that God takes ordinary people and applies and gives them His Holy Spirit, and they become extraordinary people. They become incredible people doing, you know, uh, miracles and feats that you couldn't do in just the natural. And we see that here in Numbers chapter 11. It says that Moses was overwhelmed at it was just the job was too big for him. It says, and the Lord came down into the cloud and spoke with him and took some of the power of the Spirit and put it on these 70 men that were going to help Moses. And, you know, then life became easier for Moses. And some of you need life to become easier for you. And I'm going to tell you it happens when the Holy Spirit comes in a greater measure in your life. And then in Judges chapter 6, verse 34, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, a Gideon, I mean, a Gideon was a coward. He was hiding, eating his food. And it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And Gideon, it says that he looked out, and the number of the enemy was like the sand of the sea. It said you couldn't even count it. You couldn't, I mean, the fields and the valleys were so great that you couldn't even count them. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and initially he says, Gideon, you got too many men. If I, if I let you go with this many men, those people won't know that I've been involved. He said, let everyone that's afraid, let everyone that's scared, let them go home. And then he, you know, whittles the group down to 300 against a number that you can't count. And because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, Israel had a great victory. And then we see in Judges chapter 14... This is the story of Samson. And you can read this story or this statement in in the book of Judges about Samson over and over and over again. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. And we know that, I mean, he was able to destroy so many of the Philistines all by himself. It says that, you know, he was tied, he, he picked up the city gates. And we're not talking about doors like this right here. I mean, we're talking about doors that might have been 15 or 20 foot tall. A pair of those, you know, uh, he picks them up and walks away with them up to a hill and just throws them down because of the power of the Lord being with him. And then we see that uh, the call of David, it says that Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You know what? That was way before, you know, that he went out and met Goliath in the field and destroyed the giants. It was way before the women were chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. It was before all of that. It was before all the great victories that he had against the Philistines. Is because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And even when David sinned with, by killing Uriah and uh, having uh, an adulterous relationship with, with his wife, you know, and David knew that the Spirit of God, had, that there was a break in the relationship, and that's what sin does in our life, that sin breaks the relationship that we have with God. And God seems a million miles away instead of just being right here up close and just feeling and sensing the presence of God. And David recognized that, and he says in verse 7 of chapter 51 of Psalms, cleanse me with hyssop. Remember, hyssop is what God told the children of Israel to kill the lamb and dip the hyssop 
It was like a branch, a bush. Dip that into the blood and touch the doorpost and the side post. And when the death angel comes through, he will pass over you. That's what we just celebrated last week on Friday was Passover. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquity. Now listen to him. I mean, he's desperate for God. He needs to get back. He's lost something that was precious to him, and he needs to get back. And he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take, listen to this. He says, don't take, God, please, please, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then in the New Testament, we see the same thing. Without the, Jesus does, everything that he does is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the blind man, the raising of the dead of Lazarus, the widow at Nain, uh, the uh, Jairus' daughter, all of those, the raising of the dead was done because of the great anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him. Blind were able to see. The lame were able to walk again. Lepers were cleansed again because the Spirit had been given to him, the Bible says, without measure. And then we read in, in Luke, in Luke chapter 11, it says, which of your fathers... If your son asks you for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then being, uh, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 2, and then as I mentioned, early, or chapter 12, but if the Spirit, if it is by the Spirit of God, when he was accused of driving out demons by Beelzebub, and then he says, well, by who do your children cast out the demons? And Jesus says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. We see all these incredible things that Jesus did. But you know what? The, the story doesn't really end there. I mean, we, we try to leave, you know, we, we come to the place like the disciples, and, and the, the Bible is very clear that when they were in that room, when they were hiding, locked in that room, they were believers. It said they believed. They, you know, that night, that the 11, or excuse me, the 10, Judas had gone out and hung himself. Uh, Thomas was missing. But it said that the 10 believed. And they tried to tell Thomas when he came back that we have seen the Lord and he has risen. And, and Thomas is like, you know, I'm not going to believe until I put my hands in his hands and my hand in his side and touch those scars. And, and so they were believers. And, and so this is kind of a process. But, but listen to this. He says, um, and, I, and I told you this last week, if you ever want to remember, there, there are certain things that are in all four Gospels. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is in all four Gospels. That's why, and, and I said to you, remember this, 3131. Matthew, if you go Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, John 1, all of them tell the same story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 31, chapter, chapter 3, verse uh, chapter 3 in Matthew, chapter 1, in Mark, chapter 3, and Luke, chapter 1, in John again. It's a good way to remember it. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I am, 
whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now listen to this. He, speaking about Jesus, will, uh, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's something that, you know, that the Bible indicates. It's not a suggestion. It's something that the Bible says that we need. It's necessary. We need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I hear people ask all kinds of questions. You know, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I believed. You know, do I get the Holy Spirit when I'm, you know, when I'm going to get baptized? Is it when I'm going down? Do I get the Holy Spirit? Is it when I'm in the water? Do I get the Holy Spirit? It's when I come out of the water. You know, do I get the, just all these questions about the Holy Spirit? You know, and, and my question is, you know, why do you ask? Why do you ask? Just simply just, you know, let's read this scripture right here again. It says that in John, it says John bore witness and he said, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. This is John talking about baptizing Jesus. Let me just, you know, put a little parenthesis around this for a second. All of those illustrations that I gave you from the Old Testament, you know, uh, whether it was about Gideon or Samson, or David, or all of these other great characters in the Old Testament, it says that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, would come upon them, just for a short period of time, so they could do these incredible signs and wonders to turn the heart of the nation of Israel. But listen to what John says. John says, he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained... Not just, he didn't just come upon him, but it says that he remained on him. He says, I didn't know him. And this is kind of interesting because they were cousins. John says, I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize, that would be God the Father. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have testified, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so then we come to the day of Pentecost. And this is just really, you know, Jesus came. He died for our sins. He was uh, put to death on the cross. He was buried. He resurrects from the, from the grave. And, and sometimes we just kind of stop right there. It's like that's the end of the story. You know, uh, he paid the penalty for my sin, and he certainly did. He paid the penalty for all of our sin. But the story doesn't stop that there. He tells his disciples, take this message. Take it to the world. Take it to the world. He says, I want you to start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter parts of the world. And that's where we are, Santa Fe, the uttermost parts of the world. Here we are. It's beautiful here, though, isn't it? All right. So listen. I want you to get this because, you know, some of you have been in a church for a long time, just like I have. But when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, talking about the 120, the uh, uh, 12 disciples, uh, they'd chosen another one. They were all in one place. And suddenly, suddenly, there came the sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues, and they all, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to, just, I want to talk about this for a second, okay? Because in church, you know, we get into, sometimes we get into a rut of doing things. And, and I just, I don't know if I'm the only one that questions this, but I want you to think about it for a second. Now, Peter didn't say, 
I, I want you guys, I want you 3,000 to farm an aisle. I want half of 1,500 on this side, 1,500 on this side. And, and those of you that have received Jesus, I want you just to come up here. Or Peter didn't say, you know, if you've received Jesus, could you just, you know, quietly with every head bowed and every eye closed, could you just slip your hand up? Just to slip your hand up. I, I want to get a count. 3,000. Okay, got it. No, no. Listen to what he says. He says, let's continue. Therefore, Peter's still preaching. Let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. He's speaking to the 3,000. Whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's what Peter's saying. You 3,000 and plus a bunch more out there, the religious leaders too, you crucified him. But God has made him, speaking about Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They ask a simple question. What do we do? And Peter responds, Three things. This is what you've got to do. You've got to repent. You've got to be baptized with water. And every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins... And you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all for who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000. They were added to the church that day. So you see, here's the formula. You want a formula? This is the formula. Repent. Be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't, you, you, don't, you don't just like, you know, just come to Jesus. It's just like, I'm going to come to Jesus. That's all I need. I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. I want Jesus to be a follower of me. That's the way a lot of people are. That's the way a lot of Christians are. It's just like, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, just bring Jesus in with all of these other things that I've got going on in my life. No. You got to repent. Did anybody ever tell you that? You got to be baptized. I was talking about water baptism. And then he says, and then you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so you may be asking yourself all of those questions. Well, do I really need all of those? Is, is it okay if I just believe? Is it okay if I, you know, do I really have to get baptized? I got baptized when I, I got sprinkled when I was a kid. I got baptized. My parents baptized me a long time ago. But baptism, remember Jesus was baptized when he was 30 years old. He came to a place, like all of us do. That, and ba what baptism is, is that you're publicly saying, you know what, I'm going in the water. It's symbolic of Jesus going into the grave. And coming out of the grave, remember I came out of the grave, a resurrected, different kind of person. He, he could walk through walls and doors and unlock do I mean, locked doors and locked windows. He could just walk right through the room. He was a different person. And that's what baptism symbolizes, that you go down in death and burial, but when you're raised up, you're raised up anew. Your old man has passed away, and all things have become new in your life. Now, I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking about that young man that died in his sleep and thinking about what it was like standing before a holy God and what was going through his mind and what may be going through some of our minds if we just stop at one of those places. I don't want to be a follower of Jesus. I want Jesus to be a follower of me. That's not where I want to be. 
I know that's not where you want to be. Let me give you another example of this, almost exactly like we just read, but with a different person. You repent, you get baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He is known as the greatest apostle of the New Testament. He's written over a third of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And it says, as he journeyed near Damascus, suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. Now we know that he was a persecutor. He even said that he had had some Christians put to death, had them put in prison, separated mothers and fathers from their children. But he's on his way to Damascus to get more authority to do this type of work, to arrest Christians and have them thrown into jail or put to death. And as he journeyed and he came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Paul said, or Saul said at the, the time, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, can you imagine the thoughts that were going through his mind? I mean, he watched Stephen being stoned to death. He arrested and had others put in jail. And all of a sudden, his theology changes. And he realizes that he has been opposing the very work of the one true God. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, listen to this. Listen to this. Lord, what do you want me to do? What did the 3,000 say? Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And Paul's saying the same thing. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, I love this, so this is so good. Ananias, in an instant, listen to this. He said, Here I am. You know, when the Lord calls me, he's like, Ron. 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 It's like, man, I love Ananias. It's like, man, I'm tuned in. I'm listening. I, I mean, Ananias is listening. You know, I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. But I believe that God has got a call. Well, I know this part, I know I'm absolutely right. God's got a call on every one of your lives. That if you receive Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, there are certain gifts that come with the Holy Spirit. But you know what many of us have done? Remember the story of the talent? How he gave one man ten talents, another man five talents, and another man one talent? And the man with one talent went out and buried it, did nothing with it all of his life. He did what he wanted to do, but the one talent was buried in the earth. It was profitable for nothing. Didn't help anyone. Didn't help advance the kingdom of God. I don't know much about Ananias. I know that he, from what we read here, that he was a man of prayer, that he was sensitive to the voice of God. But this may, this one act, 
may have been the only thing in this life that God called him for. And he responded. He responded. He says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him. We call this the laying on of hands. So that he might receive his sight. Now Saul, remember, he's blinded. They led him to this house. He's sitting there praying. God's speaking to Ananias. And then Ananias is trying to remind God of something that God apparently didn't know. The Ananias, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things that he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias, being faithful and obedient, went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. All right, you see, you see this? Repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going up to Damascus. He's got a mission. I'm going up to get more permission to kill more Christians. He's going up there. God shows up. And instead of going to Damascus to, uh, to kill Christians, he does a 180. That's what happens. That's what repentance is. It means to turn around. The things that you were doing, the way that you were going before, turn around and stop doing those things. The things that you thought you knew about God that are contrary to the Word of God, stop doing those things. Stop thinking those things and start being obedient to God. And that was repentance in the, uh, for the Apostle Paul. And then it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he was baptized with water. Uh, this is the way it's got to work, guys, in all of our lives. Repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk about just being baptized for just a second. You know, um, some people would ask, do I need to? Do I really need to get baptized? And I would ask again, why do you ask? I mean, God says, get baptized. Why take the chance? Get baptized. By the way, we're going to be doing baptisms here in two weeks, okay? So this just kind of fits in. If God's speaking to you today and you haven't signed up, I think we have seven people on our list. If God's speaking to you about getting baptized, you need to get your name on the list. You need to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But speaking about baptism, from 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from the drowning in that terrible flood. And the water, listen to this, and the water is a picture of baptism. That water that, that flooded the earth was a picture of baptism. And Noah and his uh, sons and his wife and sons and, and daughters-in-law, the eight of them go in. It's a picture of getting into the ark and being saved from this uh, uh, destruction of the world. It says, and that water is pic a picture of baptism, which now saves you. 
not by the removing of dirt from your body. That's not what baptism does. It's not washing off, you know, a dirty body, dirty hands, or even dirty feet. It says, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. What it simply means is that, you know, that God is doing, when you get baptized, you know, God, you're allowing God to start doing a work in your life. You're saying, I'm a follower. I'm a follower of Jesus now. And the ways that I used to go, I'm not going those ways anymore. I am following Jesus. Now, I know that a lot of us, and I've been there, guys, that we come to Jesus because we want one thing. We want the get-out-of-hell free card, okay? I mean, that's all we want. I just, you know, God, I just want to live my life the way I want to live my life, but I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to, I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to believe in Jesus, and when it comes that time, you know, then, I, you know, I can say I accepted Jesus, and I won't have to go to hell. But really, what God is calling us to do is look at sin the way that he looks at sin. And God has a hatred for sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. He loves the sinner, but he hates sin. And you guys have heard me tell that story that when I got saved, and, and, and there was a process in my life. I got saved. I, you know, came to know the Lord all by myself. I mean, God just showed up, all right? Uh, and, and God showed up in my life, and, and for the first time in my life, I didn't just know it. I didn't know it intellectually, but I knew in my heart that there was a God in heaven. He had a son named Jesus Christ who died for, for my sins, that Jesus was born of a virgin. I knew that, not intellectually anymore, I knew that there was a heaven, and I knew that there was a hell, and I knew at that moment, that at that moment in my life, if I were to die, that I wasn't going to heaven, that I was going straight to hell because of the way that I'd lived my life. God's speaking to someone right now. He's speaking to you right now. So we talk about this picture of baptism. You know, getting in that ark. And what we're doing when we're bab getting baptized, we're being baptized into Jesus and into the body of Christ. I want to close with this. I want to ask you four questions. Do you believe that God is great? And I'm, I'm not talking about that country song. God is great, and beer is good, and people are crazy. Okay? I'm not talking about that kind of great. All right? Do you believe that God is great? Well, let me tell you that God believes that he is great. Listen to what he says about himself. For the Lord is great. The Lord is a great God, a great king above all the other gods. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. The Bible talks about it in Matthew chapter 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything that he owned to get money to buy that field. I mean, he just said that, you know, there's nothing that I have in my life that, that, that is worth losing getting this field. I need this field. I want this field. That's the way I felt when, you know, when Nina and I first met, I was, you know, I was a player. I, you know, I had, you know, not a girlfriend, I had girlfriends. I had like a Wednesday girlfriend, a Thursday girlfriend, a Friday girlfriend, a Saturday girlfriend. But when she showed up, when she showed up in my life, well, my heart went boom as she crossed that room. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you can write a song about that. You can write a song about that. And I held her hand in mine. 
You know, seriously, I mean, all of those other girls, nothing mattered. Nothing mattered to me but her. And I was going to do everything that I could to win her. I mean, she was the field that I wanted. Everything else paled in comparison. And then there came a time when we had to separate, and she came back to Santa Fe, and I stayed in Texas. And I thought, I was, she was on my mind day and night. And I thought, I've got to get there. And I didn't have any money or didn't have a lot of money, but I had a thumb. And I got out on the highway, and I thought, man, I'm going. I am going. Come hell or high water, I am going there. And, I, you know, some of you have heard me tell this story. I mean, my first encounter with a, with a homosexual man, gay guy, picked me up. I mean, I didn't even know what it was. I was so naive. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. You know, he's inviting me to come to his house and spend the night. I'm like, no, man, i got to get to Santa Fe. And finally, it was just like, oh, it's like, all of a sudden, it's starting to hit. You know, I'm, I'm waking up. You know, it's like a dummy that I was. I said, no, please, i just I got to get out of the car. Got another ride. These people dropped me off in the middle of a, I mean, a, just a, a torrential down Texas downpour. Probably rained three inches that night. And I'm in a sleeping bag. You know, one of those Sears and Roebuck sleeping bags that weighs about, it weighed about 50 pounds the next morning. I'm wringing this thing out. And then I got a ride. And, and then, you know, I mean, this, this guy that gave me a ride, he, he actually, I was supposed to be on I-10 coming up through Pecos, Texas. And he had passed my turnoff by about 12 miles. And so I've got, I'm out on I-10 with my thumb out. And this car pulls up. Now get this, guys. This is the time when racial tension in, in this country was at its highest. Watts riots were going on. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of black and white tension in those days. And so I pit, sti stick my thumb out, and this car pulls up, and there are three black men in the front and three black men in the back, and all of them look like they could be linebackers, and they're all, hey, man, get in. And I'm thinking, seriously, where? <laughs> I mean, where? Where do I get in? And so they slid over, and yeah, they were cool. And, and I, you know, I pray for those guys. I don't know where they are today. I pray God's blessing on them. I mean, they stopped. They helped me out. I needed a ride. And then I get to Pecos, Texas. You know, I'm carrying drugs and all kind of other crazy stuff in those days. But I get to Pecos, Texas, because I'm coming after the one that I love. I'm coming after I'm Nothing matter. I, I left my home. I left my mother. I left my father. I left all my friends and all all of those other girlfriends because here's someone that won my heart and that's what God wants you to do to him. Amen? I'm talking about coming to God. Not just putting him in your back pocket. Not just I need him when I have a blowout in life. I am coming to God and nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Well, I got to Santa Fe. Thank God. <laughs> But you know what, you know, I've actually thought about just going back and doing it all over again, seriously, with my thumb, and just see what that experience would be like, because I would do it a hundred times. I would do it a thousand times. And see, that's the way that we've got to be with Jesus, all right? So, because he's great. Our God is great. He is a great God. That's the number one question. Do you believe that God is great? The second question I'm going to ask you is, that you believe that God's way of living is best? And what I mean by that is that what he has outlined in his word, 
Do you believe that God's way, that his prescribed way of living is best for you? Or is your way better than his way? Well, let me tell you what the, what the scripture says. He says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then Isaiah 53, 6 says that all we like sheep, all of us, every one of us. It doesn't leave anyone out. Every one of you, myself included. All we like sheep have gone astray. See, we've strayed. See, that, that, that song that we sing, you know, uh, take my heart, Lord. My, my heart is prone to wander. My heart wants to wander. Temptation comes in, and I want to forget about who God is, and I want to do my own thing for a while. And then in that, that hymn, he says, chain me with a fetter, with chains, chain me to you, God, so that I am not prone to wander. Because God knows best, the Bible tells us, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all that you do. And He will show you which path to take. And some of you are lost today. You're lost about jobs and relationships and friends. And just, you know, there's a lot of confusion in your life. And you don't know what to do. And God's ready to speak to you just like He spoke to Ananias and he's just waiting for you to just stop and be still long enough for him to tell you what to do. Which path to take? Lord, what do I do? Do I move? Do I stay? Do I quit this job and take this other one? You know, what about my kids? Are, are my kids on the right path? All a thousand questions. And God is just waiting for you to ask. Ask and you, you will receive. Uh, seek and you will find and knock and the door will be open to you. So... Do you believe that God's ways, that God is great? Do you believe that God's way of living is, is best? He says in Jeremiah chapter 29, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of good. Thoughts for a hope. Thoughts for a future. And I, I tell you what, that's the road I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm headed down that way. Number three, do you believe in your heart? that God wants to have, that he, he wants to have a love relationship with you. Do you really believe that? Not an intellectual belief, again, but a relationship. I mean, we love all kinds of things. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love pizza. I love golf. I love hunting. I love fishing. You know, we all these things that we say that we love. But, you know, God wants to be in the forefront of our love. You know, when Jesus was asked that question, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophet hang on these two commandments. And so, to be a follower or a believer in Jesus is one who hears the truth. Not just hears the truth, but hears the truth and accepts it. I see, there were things that I was doing in my life that I didn't know were wrong. I mean, I told you I got saved and God saved me, but it was probably a year or so later that I didn't know that I was supposed to be baptized. But when someone said, have you been baptized? I'm like, no, you know, you need to get baptized. Okay, no problem. Get baptized. And then someone says, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I said, I, you know what, you know, kind of like those guys in Acts. I mean, I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I, in fact, when people talked about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, I thought, man, you know, ghosts, that's scary. I don't even know if I want that. 
You know, I just like, that's pretty scary to me. But, you know, the Bible says that I need to be baptized. Be baptized. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm thinking that, I mean, Jesus is the loving God. He's not going to give me something. Like, you know, like the, the Scripture said, it's, if a father, a son asks a father for an egg, is he going to give him a scorpion or a spider or a snake? No. He's a good God. And if he says that we need the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. And so he says that, uh, you know, that if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, going to hear, you're not going to hear all the truth at one time. But there are going to be times in your life where you hear the truth and you say, you know what? That's not the way that I've been walking. I've been walking that way in marriage or sex or, you know, with regard with what God says about the way I do my business or lying or stealing or cheating or unforgiveness in my heart. You know, I mean, how many of you have ever had, you know, I mean, even today, maybe 15 or 20 years later, your mind goes back to a thought about something that somebody did to you. And you start thinking about the ways that you could kill them. <laughs> I'm serious. Or at least, at least make them feel bad. You know, I mean, we're, am I the only one that thinks those thoughts? All right. But when I do, but when, when those thoughts come into my mind, I'm like, Jesus, man, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. And then I start to pray for them. Jesus said, pray for those that, you know, that hate you and despise you and, and bless those that would persecute you and curse you. And I'm like, you know, that's the person that I, I know I need to be, but that's not the person that I am right now, but that's the person that I want to be. And see, when, when we're like that, where you're on that track, see, God can work in your heart. But when you're saying, you know, God, I don't care what your word says. If I ever see them again, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shaft them. All right, everybody that's laughing has had that same thought. Okay, so that's all of us, right? Um, so the question is, do you want the Holy Spirit in your life? And Jesus said, if you love me and obey my commandments, this is my final point. And while I'm, you know, making this final point, if our prayer ministers, if I could just ask you guys to come up and take your positions. We just want to, we close our service every week like this where we want to pray for you. And if something has been said in the service that you want prayer about, and maybe you're like one of those 3,000 that you've never really given your life to Jesus. You haven't repented, you haven't been baptized, and you haven't received the Holy Spirit. You can just come up to one of these, any one of these people up here uh, after the service is over, and you can tell them, today, I've decided to really get real about my walk with Jesus and I need more the Holy Spirit in my life or I want to receive Jesus for the first time in my life and I want to get water baptized in a couple of weeks and I want the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon me because you see this is this is interesting he says that uh, he says I won't abandon you but I'll come to you in John 14 verse 15 and 18 he's talking about I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. He says, I won't, I won't. But he says that unless I go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. And then he says that while I am with you, in essence, what are you saying? That, that you, you see the Holy Spirit now because I am with you. And he is with you. But when I go away, he will not only be with you, he will be in you. The Bible says, 
don't you know that your body is the temple? Listen, this, this building is not a temple. It's just a building. When we leave, this is, it's not church. When you guys leave, the church, the church is leaving. This building is just a shell. But the Bible says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God? And then he says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so when the Holy Spirit comes in, 1 Corinthians tells us, it says that spiritual gifts are given to each of us so that we can help each other. You know, I don't want the Holy Spirit in my life so I can stand up here and do some tricks for you, okay? I'm not interested in doing tricks. I'm interested in having the Holy Spirit in my life so the Holy Spirit can change me. Number one, two reasons. Number one, he starts to change me. And number two, he uses me to help you. And that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And that's how the church grows. And then he says, in Luke 24 again, he says, uh, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you with power. Now, I just want to close with this one scripture. You know, guys, as I mentioned, there, there comes a time in our life where we have to grow up. We, we've got, you know, you can't stay at the same level all your life. You can't just stay locked in that room. You can't lock yourself in that room because of hurt or sins or betrayal. You can't lock yourself in that room because you're ashamed or afraid or embarrassed. Uh, the kingdom of God is calling, and God has given you gifts and talents. And he's told us to go out and share this message. He said, first of all, again, I'll repeat myself, start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea. That's kind of like the out lying areas of Jerusalem, and then to Samaria. Remember, those were the people that the Jews hated, but Jesus is going after them anyway. And then he says, and then take it to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, if you know, Paul says this. He says that when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a, like a child, but... I became a man, talking about spiritually. And when I became a man, I put away my childish ways. And when you come to Jesus, you come to that, that pearl of great price. You come to that field that you cannot live without. You come to that one, that one that everything in life is worth giving up just for him. And that's the kind of love that he wants us to have for him this morning. Please stand with me. I want to pray with you. I'm excited to see what God's doing in your lives. You know, the Bible says that from glory to glory, he's changing me. He says, though my outward man perish, my inward man is being renewed day by day. And I, I look at you and I talk to some of you and I see the work that God is doing in your life. I know that you're going through some struggles. But I just want to encourage you. You just keep crying out to God. You just keep crying out to Jesus. Jesus, change me. Holy Spirit, change me. I know the way that you want me to be. I haven't arrived yet. But you know what? That we talked about the greatest apostle. He said the same thing at the end of his life. He says, I haven't arrived yet. 
I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm very close. I'm getting close to being there. And the closer I get, the more the Heavenly Father is shaping me into the image of His Son, Jesus. That's what He wants to do. So if you would, just with an open heart, just say, Lord, I believe that You're a great God. I believe that Your ways are better than my ways. I believe that You want to be in a love relationship with me, and You want me to love You with all of my heart. Lord, I believe that You want me to have Your Holy Spirit so that I can be changed and I can help others to change. Lord, do that work in all of our hearts right now. Do your work within us, Lord God. We don't want to be just a bunch of people that are attending a social club on Sunday morning. We want to be men and women of God. And on that day, when I stand before Him, when I stand before the throne, look at me for just a second now. When we stand before the throne, I want to see your faces. I want to see every one of your faces. And, and I want us to say, you know what? We got here because we helped each other. We're in the very presence of God because we helped each other. And because God has given us His Holy Spirit, you know, we can live these kind of lives. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But He says, I haven't left you as orphans. I've given you the Holy Spirit. So you can do everything. Jesus said, nothing is impossible. You got something impossible in your life right now? Jesus is saying, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Say it. Nothing. Nothing is impossible. Amen. Let's give our God just a, a great praise worship. God, you are awesome. We bless you. We praise you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, again, if you need prayer, please come up. Um, you know, these men and women will be here. They're prayed up. They're filled up with the Holy Spirit. They want to, you know, just pray with you. Pray God's richest blessing on you. I'm going to just tell you guys I love you so much. I just want you to go out and make a difference in this world for the one that we serve, the one that we love, Jesus Christ. Amen.